think um, prior to the the pandemic, we didn't understand um, as a as a country all of the roles that schools play within the infrastructure of our society. For me, the biggest challenge through the entire pandemic has been communication. Yeah, I, I think it's just been really eye-opening to, to see what there's it's going to take a long time for this class to recover what i want to leave people with uh, regarding the pandemic is just um please as much as the teachers at school try to be empathetic and love your kids like their own please be and exercise that empathy towards teachers and educators and we are two unique female professionals and friends that have come together to have meaningful conversations and a little fun along the way. Welcome to the Arable Podcast, where curious minds grow. I'm your host, Jenna Mountain. And I'm your other host, Kimberly Galindo. Okay, Kimberly, we get the joy and honor of hosting a really neat conversation that I would guess um, has been an impact factor um, or a component of life for most people in some fashion uh, this last year in the uh, pandemic experience. So we have the joy and honor of having three um, professionals in the education world join us today so we can talk about education, um, the, the educational experience in a pandemic. And so we have uh, Philip Morgan, who is um, a fun uh, old friend of mine. We have AJ Stedford. Um, AJ and I go back. We were, we were in home group together uh, in church. And then uh, I have the joy of welcoming my husband on the podcast, Blaine Mountain. So gentlemen, welcome to Arable Podcast. We're so excited to have you here. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. So our heart uh, with Arable Podcast is to uh have conversations and dialogue where we hold space for a lot of different perspectives and a lot of different experiences. And, you know, Kimberly, you and I, as we've reflected this last year as parents ourselves um, going through this experience, we've talked about that, you know, one of the things that we think has been lacking as mental health professionals is the ability to have this dialogue better. And so we wanted to host uh, kind of a panel of educators um, and, and explore like the, the good, the bad, and the ugly of the pandemic experience when it comes to education. I'm going to let each of you introduce yourselves, um, both professionally and personally, so that we can get a little bit of a sense of the context that you were in. We purposely picked um, each of you because you have your hands in different parts of the educational experience and system. Um, you know, we have uh, public school and private school. We have in the classroom, we have administrative roles. And so we wanted to uh, have, have some different balance there. And then um, every single person here on the podcast today has children who have been in this experience as well. And, and some spouses in education as well. And so um, I'm going to let each of you guys do that. Philip, 
please introduce yourself, tell our listeners a little bit about what you do, who you are, and your world. Absolutely glad to do so. Thank you so much, uh, Jenna, uh, for having me on with the whole, the whole team here at, uh, um, here at Awesome House, uh, just for having us in. Uh, you're right, it has been a very unique uh, year. Um, my name is uh, Dr. Philip Morgan, and I am an administrator uh, for the Waxahachie Independent School District in Waxahachie, just south of Dallas, uh, Fort Worth Metroplex. Um, I serve currently as the administrator for the Fine Arts Department. My title is Director of Fine Arts, um, but in that role, I am the administrative uh, officer over the art program, band, choir, theater, drill team, cheerleading, and all of our UIL extracurricular academic programs. Um, I'm also the one they call frequently to uh, MC student awards and go set up the PAC because I have my background from theater. So um, I, uh, I, I am not where I am because of myself. Obviously, uh, it's a true introduction. I am a follower of Christ. I love the Lord. Um, he has provided more than I could possibly ask for in my life, including a fantastic spouse, uh, which you mentioned, who is also in K-12 education. She serves as our English language arts and reading coordinator for pre-K through five grades at Lawrence Hedge ISD. So um, far more intelligent than I am, definitely more important in the scheme of uh, reading and writing, <laughs> um, but just as important in terms of um, how we complement one another too. We also have a, uh, a five-year-old, Stella Max, who is uh, about to be going to kindergarten. Uh, we redshirted her last year. She could have gone to kindergarten, but we held her one more year so she could develop a little bit more and gain those social skills and kind of get into her own a little bit. And, um, yeah, we live here in Waxahachie. Um, I also serve uh, on our curriculum instruction panel as well in the school district. I help them make decisions. I work on the, uh, the board policies and administrative guidelines for student travel, student budgeting, extracurricular activities. Um, and uh, in my other side of my life, too, on the personal side, I guess it kind of bleeds into the professional as well. Um, I also am a, a certified CPAO adjudicator. I, I judge high school theater arts teach debate competitions, been doing that for a number of years. It's my 18th year in education, and um, just having a blast doing it. So that's that's me in a, in a brief nutshell, and again, I'm very honored to be on the podcast and uh, and give you some unique perspective on how it's been not only in the classroom or with the teachers, but also as an administrator for the school. So thanks for having me. Yeah, I was so excited about your voice in this conversation, Philip, because like, I remember as all this was playing out, thinking, um, and not to minimize uh, at all, but thinking, okay, I could sort of strategically and logistically figure out how to pull off some of these things online. But there were some, like, mind benders when I thought about, like, how do you play a trumpet in a pandemic? And, like, how do you sing in the choir, you know? And so you kind of representing that area I thought was so important because, um. I think that they had some really unique challenges in in this context. So I'm so excited you're here. Thank you, Philip. Um, AJ, please introduce yourself. Give us some context. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm excited. I'm excited to do this. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm AJ Stedford. Uh, it's my if I remember right, my 15th year in education. Uh, and a little bit of background on that too. I I didn't originally go into to college or anything, going into education. I was just a straight biology major and then and did alternative certification through, uh, it was in Texas and, and a lot of encouragement from people around me who just thought that this was something that I, you know, that I was gifted at and I'm really appreciative for that. Uh, so yeah, I started five years teaching in Texas at 
uh, primarily at at-risk schools, so two different ones, more of a traditional setting. Uh, that was kind of borderline inner city, uh, and then three more at an alternative school, helping with with credit recovery. Uh, all of that, like all of that teaching science, uh, and now have uh, relocated. My my family relocated up to Seattle. It's our our tenth year up in the Seattle area, uh, and now in a private Christian school, which <laughs> really interesting. The the opposite ends of the spectrum uh, from going you know to kind of inner city and at risk to to private Christian. Um, so really, really cool perspectives I've gotten on the, on the two sides of that. Uh, but yeah, I've been there for, for 10 years teaching high school biology and anatomy physiology. Taught chemistry for about seven years, but it just it flexes based off of what staff we have and who, you know, who's available to teach what. So I just, I'll, I'll, te- I'll just teach whatever's needed. Uh, help, while there, help out with uh, National Honor Society, some advisor for that, uh, assistant baseball coach. Uh, so a lot of a lot of work out there on the field, which, as you can imagine, has its own unique dynamic. Uh, and then, um, and then head up the science department too, just help to, to orchestrate what's going on in there. On on the personal side, so married uh, for 15, 15 and a half years. I have three kids, so third grade, kindergarten, preschool. Uh, so a pretty pretty good range and, and a lot of fun. Uh, is <laughs> Each one has their their own strengths and their own areas to to challenge us, <laughs> but it's you know, it's really good and, and it's a lot of fun. Um, and uh, I just want to ask one other thing. So we um, so we helped with a, a church plant recently and, and then merged with another church. And I'm, I'm one of the non-staff pastors that's there that helps out. So we've got three staff pastors and then a small group of guys that that are non-staff to to help help out with with all pastoral needs. That's amazing, AJ. Um... There were things in there that I was not aware of. So I knew I knew that you were going to bring in um, the private school dynamic. I knew that you were going to bring in the sciences. Like this was something else I thought about. Like I was like, okay, I had to dissect a frog. How do you do that online? You know, and, and just all these different dynamics. Like what are we doing? Um, I, you know, knew you were in the sports. Um, I didn't know that, you know, you were – bivocationally serving in the way that you are at a church. I think that's, that's really interesting. And then in a different part of the country, I think that's, I think that's a factor. I'm going to throw that out there. I was like, that's, that's important. It is, it is definitely a factor. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you for being a part of this conversation. I'm I'm super excited about how you're going to contribute to this last but not least. And and I'm not obligated to say that because I'm married to him, but um, Blaine, would you please introduce yourself? Yeah, most definitely. So I am uh, Blaine Mountain, aka Mr. Mountain. Um, I started off teaching actually with uh, Philip Morgan. He's what he's he introduced me to UIL, UIL Academics, which I currently serve as the coordinator on our campus. Started off in MacArthur High School. It was a it's a Title One school, um, but it has a really unique demographic. It's nestled uh, at the time we had Cowboy Stadium that was right there. Tony Romo lived a couple blocks over, but it was still considered a school that was subsidized by the state of uh, state of Texas. Uh, and at one time, it kind of fluctuates between be- being one of the most diverse cities in, in the United States of America. So it was really interesting starting teaching there. I taught there for five years. Uh, then I transitioned to middle school. I taught at a middle school for three years. Uh, and then I taught in a little rural area for a year out in Pawnee, Texas, uh, before moving over to Allen High School, which is the largest high school in the state of Texas, probably one of the largest high schools 
uh, in the world. So I'm currently teaching English. I had the opportunity to teach English online this year. So it was I was a virtual only teacher, which was a unique experience. Some of our teachers were hybrid. They had classes that were in person and virtual, and then some of them were split between the two. But I, I had the opportunity to kind of see what it was like to be an online teacher for for the year. So it was really interesting. Y'all, I'm like in the house with the greats today. This is awesome. I know. I know. Um, Kimberly, do you want to give us your context as a parent? Because um, we're going to bring that into the into the dialogue a little bit. Yeah. So um, we have a um, five-year-old. I have a niece of six. And um, I was actually pregnant in a pandemic. So we had a little one that we were creating or co-creating. And we have a five-year-old who started kindergarten after a pandemic. And so we um, chose to do a virtual uh, year-long Who could sit with her and um, be with her, and it worked well for us. So um, that was interesting. It, it worked well for her, um, but not what wasn't perfect or easy. But um, was was really was great. Um, so um, we had that support, and we've done that. And she's flourished and learned the read and seen the math, and she's loved it. And um, you know, made little virtual friends, and so it's been. Um, it's been good. So, yeah, that was our context. Yeah, I'll add, um, so, yeah, Blaine and I have a third grader and a preschooler. Um, and, <laughs> Philip, I love your language. Um, I guess we're redshirting our preschooler, too, just because of where his birthday falls. Um, so we get, like, one more year, which I, I am hopeful will be a good year for him to adjust back to some things. Um, uh, but as, as Blaine shared, we, um, we, uh, initially kept our, our family, um, pretty isolated. And some of that is because I fall in a high risk category. And so, um, we really felt like we needed to um, be careful as much as we could, you know, and, and we realized that some of those, those choices, um, have to do with our privilege of what we were able to pull off. Um, so, our uh, son was able to stay at home, and we had a delightful nanny who really did preschool at home, which was amazing. His learning did not get interrupted at all. Um, and then our daughter has done virtual school for this entire year. You know, so she just wrapped up an entire year of virtual school, and um, in third grade, and um, it was it was very mixed experience. Um, we can name some things we're really thankful for um, that were developmentally helpful for her that I I don't know would have happened in the classroom context just logistically, and then um, and then there's losses there too. And so we we've been um, kind of just navigating processing that as a family um, because she is old enough to to be able to name and feel and talk about those things with us. And so it's been, um, it's been really interesting. And then our son did have to return to, um, I'm very thankful, a very careful daycare um, after the holidays uh, for this spring semester. And um, I'll share a little bit about his experience when we get there uh, as far as choices that we've made, because there's, there's some uniquenesses there as well. Curious as we start the conversation, you guys are all educators, um, and we're going to discuss this last year in the arena of education, but I'd like to start with getting to know you in 
your philosophy and approach to teaching and education. Um, because I think that helps us get a sense of kind of where you're coming into this thing called a pandemic and just all the nuance that it existed. Um, so your, your starting place, you as educators, your heart, your philosophy, um, we've learned a little bit about your context, but I think just kind of you as educators and kind of what your philosophy is would be, I think, helpful to get to know you as people, as educators, but then also as we dialogue with those students. Um, why are we here? Yeah. All right. So, I mean, I can start off. Um, one of the, I mean, as an educator in Texas, we are tasked with teaching the teaks. I think a lot of times uh, parents think we're teaching the common core. They're like, oh, what's up with this new math? Well, we teach in Texas, so we don't do the, really do the new math. We, we have the teaks that we, we teach. Um, so that's always at the forefront. Um, and then as far as my personal philosophy within teaching these you know, essential knowledge and skills is really just laying a foundation for students around being able to communicate with adults and future bosses and future employees and, and just building out uh, that confidence uh, and at the same time just kind of growing them as, hu as humans and there's been a big push towards that just within the past year I think it just, it just happened to coincide with the pandemic but the SEL is real big social emotional learning uh, they've been rolling that counselors have been rolling that out um, our school purchased a program that involved SEL at the forefront which is very much something that theater arts teachers and English teachers have been doing for a long time because very much of what we do is based on an emotional intelligence, um, you know, inferencing, uh, reading into to what's being said, uh, you know, underlying factors. So we, we do a lot of that, just trying to build people up as, as humans. I mean, that's kind of always at the forefront along with the skills. I mean, I can, I can dovetail that if you want me to. I'll jump right in behind Blaine. Um, one, because I've worked with him before and he's a great colleague and and uh, I can affirm that that absolutely is his philosophy. Um, similar to, uh, to Mr. Mountain, my philosophy goes in with a, a quote that I heard one of my favorite educators that I met probably my first year as an administrator um, in Waco Independent School District, which is a very high-need, um, low-SES uh, district. And uh, she said, the truth of the matter is, is that kids don't care what you know unless they know that you care. So my first approach always to teaching and education is building relationships with kids. And, you know, we live and work in probably the most cautious, precarious, and dangerous um, <laughs> profession there is. Because, you know, people say things all the time, like in our education, they, they say it nonchalantly. Like, you know, there's two things you can't mess with in schools. It's kids and money. And those are two things that, as an administrator, I'm around all the time. And I see teachers engaging with kids all the time. And to, to Blaine's point, I mean, we build relationships not just in the classroom, but if you're over like, like I am, like, and, and also like AJ is, if you're, in a, if you're a baseball coach or you're the spelling and vocabulary sponsor at the, at the school to coach or you're a, you're a fine arts administrator, you're around kids almost more than their parents are in their daily life. So my philosophy has always been, one, build relationships and get to know them so that they understand who you are and what you're about. Um, and two, once you do build a relationship with them, similar to what Mr. Mountain said, you know, build a foundation with them of whatever your content is and apply it to real life. Because as I told our seniors that graduated last night amid fireworks, you know, that's wonderful. 
but tomorrow starts a completely different cycle of your life where people who were in it and were paid to be supportive for you <laughs> are no longer there. And so it's so important for you to build not only your academic knowledge, but also your just general wherewithal and logic so you can survive as a person and be liked and be cared for and care about others because that's that's where life gets real fun. So uh, I'd say my philosophy kind of aligns into that. I mean, I build relationships with kids, and in my position, I build relationships now with teachers. I support them as best I can so that they can then build those relationships with students and families. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's really good. Uh, and I mean, not surprising, I have a very similar philosophy for, for me, too. Um, a lot of times for me, I, I kind of think simple uh, to start with, at least, because then that it sticks in my head better. Because the more details I get, I, I get them all jumbled up in my head and can easily lose my, my focus. Uh, so it, I mean, really, the, the first overall thing, I just think I'm, I'm trying to equip students, uh, which can, can look like and mean different things. Uh, so I, I really break it down into, into the two ideas of of academics and, and character and then and then just from there you know you, you tailor it to to the students and their needs uh, so especially with with teaching anatomy physiology and, and in this area there's a lot of you know, a lot of families in medical and a lot of students who want to go that route so I get a lot of students who who want to go into you know doctorate school down the road or or get into nursing or be in you know an EMT and so Part of my philosophy is I want to equip those kids so when they take the next step academically, I've given them a, you know, a good, strong foundation to build on, and I uh, can help them in their in their college career, help them in their training, and and really sit, you know, give them that advantage. Uh, at the same time, a lot of a lot of students who aren't going to go into that, uh, so I, my philosophy still is to, to challenge them in a way that's going to make them just make them think, make them persevere, and. I tell them, because I'll even have parents who ask, like, what's the purpose of my, my kid doing chemistry? Like, they're just going to, you know, they just want to work on a farm when they're older. Well, there's a, there's a level of perseverance. There's a level of just learning how to even think in a different way. There's an you know, analytical in some classes and, you know, more philosophical, like philosophical in other classes. So just teaching them how to work through things. Um, but at the same time, I think even more importantly, the, the character piece of, teaching them how to, to be mature adults, uh, teaching them you know, being at a, at a Christian school, especially where we're able to, you know, how to, how to be transformed and, and to, you know, walk, walk with Christ in a, in a better way for, again, not everyone in there is actually, you know, walking the faith, but those who are encouraging them to do so, those who aren't just, you know, encouraging them to explore it and, and it's walking with them and equipping them in, in that, in that realm. Um, so that, that's pretty much my, my main, philosophy in the two areas of academics and, and character. I love that. Um, I can tell when I listen to you, all of you answer the question, and I, and I think I, I think most educators um, are like this, but you guys really are focusing on the human in front of you and all these tiny souls that you've been entrusted with. And so there's just something really sweet about hearing you guys talk about that. Uh, fun question. What's your favorite part of education? Um, I just kind of want to kind of get to know you guys a little bit before we jump into the hard conversation. Favorite part? Oh, man, I got, I got this one right off the bat. My favorite part of education, very easy. And this is where the emotional me comes out a little bit, so forgive me if I get a little eh, because I've had, just like Blaine has, and I'm sure AJ has too, we've all got our favorite kids. Being an administrator too, I haven't had 
kids in the classroom, high school level kids for, oh gosh, 10 years. Um, I taught college after I taught high school, so I've had those students, but those are adults, you know, I've had them all the way from you know, 18 all the way up to like 60, taking like speech classes. So, but I, I will tell you that my favorite part, uh, especially now going back into K-12, is watching students, I know it's going to sound like one of those, like, oh, of course you do, but like, I just watching kids get it. Like, when you really try to teach them a lesson, whether it's academic lesson or whether it's character lesson or whether you've been training with them for days trying to explain to them how to give a speech or how to give a soliloquy on stage or just how to write correctly. When you finally get that essay that they thought they get it or they go on stage and they understand, when the light clicks for them, they truly understand that what you've been guiding them towards wasn't just a line. It was like true guidance and it works. And it's almost like a recipe. I love to cook and that's it. You tell them the recipe all day long, but when, when they finally make the meal themselves and go, oh my gosh, this was, oh, this was a lot of work, but look at what I get now. Yes. And watching the light bulbs click, you know, and that happens mm. in a number of ways. It happens in a classroom. It happens to teachers. When I'm coaching teachers on how to do that for kids and when you're teaching someone to do it, and then you see the teacher do it, and then their kid gets it. It's like double light bulb. The kid gets it, the teacher gets it, and you go, ah, it worked. I love but, that. Uh, that's definitely my favorite part is just watching them do it. Yeah, I can, I can jump on with that one. Uh, I mean, same same thing. Just seeing seeing kids take those steps forward, whether academically or, or character, uh, it's, it's such a cool thing and cool experience. Uh, and, and especially, I feel like especially with a lot of those character pieces and Especially when you when you know some of the backgrounds of some of the kids, uh, and and obviously you don't get to know all of them as much as you'd want to. Especially you know if if you've got a hundred and some students rolling through your your classroom each year, uh, and only you know fifty minutes a day. But man, especially when you know the you know know those backgrounds that some kids are just hurting at home and struggling, and and you get to to walk with them and then see them take those steps. Uh, it's it's just such a great feeling. Um, I mean, I even had a, you know, one in particular this week even where it was a student who, who I already respected, uh, but just a, one of those moments where, you know, made a couple mistakes in class, we addressed it, and then, you know, then she comes up later and, and just is apologizing of, that's not who I am, it's not who I want to be, and, you know, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be respectful, and it's just really cool to, to see that transformation and see that desire in kids. It's awesome. I think the thing that I enjoy the most, I mean, it feels like a career buffet in a lot of in a lot of ways. I mean, some days you show up and you're their life coach. You know, I'm giving them feedback on their essays. So I'm the editor um, towards the end of the year. I always love it when kids are like, hey, Mr. Mountain, have you ever thought about doing stand up like like you should have your own like special? And so I'm like, yeah, you're right. You're right. I, that would be fun. And so I get the opportunity to like tell jokes and perfect jokes and. I treat it like I'm always trying to like, all right, I tell the same jokes for 10 years and see if I can get a better laugh than I did the year before. So I, in a way, I get to be a stand-up comedian. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it, it really is very much like a career buffet. You get to be so many careers um, within the course of eight hours. Sometimes you're the bouncer, right? Kids are in the hallways fighting and you're having to break it up. And um, there's just so many different things that you get to do. And then it's over, right? You get... 10 really intense months with a group of kids. It's almost like camp. You're building those relationships and, and they're building out memories that they remember for the rest of their lives. And then it's over and you get a new group of kids. And so 
I like that aspect of it as well. Um, so that, those that that's why I enjoy TCU the most. I feel like it's so unique. One more thing I, I'd like to add. Just listening to you guys reminded me of, I mean, just being with my colleagues. You said that like, the students come in, you get a new group, but a lot of times you've got colleagues that you're there with for, for a long time. And, man, I I love my, my other teachers. Like, getting to sit with them at, at, you know, at lunch or at in-services or, you know, whatever it might be. Uh, it's great relationships, especially when you're, you know, you're going through tough seasons at school. There's always, there's always certain months where everybody's struggling. Like, like around here, especially in, you know, February, it's just a tough month. And you start talking to other teachers and they're like, you're struggling too? Like, yeah, yeah, big time. Uh, and so it's, it's great to do that together and you persevere together with, and, you know, you have all the, the joy and share that together, which, you know, just listening to you guys talk just now and that, that joy, you know, talking with you and being with you, I was reminded of that. Well, we, and you see some like of that too. a lot too. of camaraderie in the education. I, I agree, and that's I was going to say the same thing. Like Blaine, you and I have talked together before, and uh, we've co-sponsored UIL events together. And I think there's a certain level of growth kids see from that too, and they they really it's something that they don't typically learn unless uh, they are on a job site with colleagues. But I know kids also feed off of that too. I know when we were teaching together, that was a big thing for a lot of my students is that they saw you as a UIL coach and me as a UIL coach and then when we would go to tournaments and they would win and they weren't used to winning because they're not supposed to win is what the world tells them from a very poverty heavy school district that's title one you know kids from Irving uh, Waco those, those school districts that aren't as as uh, financially uh, blessed as others um, kids see that and they see us celebrating each other and our wins and they're like wow the, the teachers are stoked about this and that shows them like it's okay like we're we're real human beings too and we're motivated when you win kind of thing it's like yeah that's huge and that's what motivates us to AJ's point like ah that motivates me I mean I you don't know this but when you texted me the other day it was it was just as probably ecstatic for me and you can tell if you can't tell to hear that you won the state championship at the coast because I remember the grind-out years when we could not get kids on the team <laughs> and when we couldn't get them out of the district contest and won at play. So to have colleagues that I know love kids and, and love what they do to see you win um, and just how that affects your kids and how it turns them into great human beings that believe in academics and so many people don't, you know, it's such a big deal. And it's a big motivator for me too. You can't tell. It's part of my spirit, who I am, being a spirit and all that different stuff. I mean, it definitely freaks kids out. Like, <laughs> when you go to a teacher's classroom, and they're like, oh, you're you're Mr. you're friends with Mr. Stedford. Like, y'all are friends, friends. I'm like, yeah, we're like friends. You know, like, Mr. you mean Philip? Yeah, Philip and I are, are friends. Uh, so it's fun for kids to get to see that dynamic as well. Like, adults interact with each other, and we enjoy our jobs, and we enjoy each other. Gosh, I love that. That's so fun. It's amazing. I know, me too. The love and joy in your work and for the kids and then with team and, you know, giving that have a high value for that too. Oh my gosh, that's such such a joy to hear that. For the record, I got I got I, I got I got yelled at just a little bit. Oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, you're no we want to hear how you got yelled at. 
Yeah. No, I, did, I got I got I got dinged by a couple of my friends at work because when Blaine sent me the message that they had won the state championship in such a weird year where everything was done like you guys had to travel right Blaine to like a hub location, and I was deeply saddened that Alan didn't yeah, come to. Yeah, it was totally different than we had ever done before. I was I was deeply saddened that you didn't get to select my hub location and come hang out with me for the afternoon, but. But uh, but when I heard that you guys had won and you shared that, I'm all celebrating in my office. <laughs> my assistant superintendent's going, wait a minute, why are you celebrating Allen winning the state championship? Hold on a minute, <laughs> because we had we had students in the state championship too. And I said, no, no, different event, different event. I said, but you got to understand, these are these are my friends that we've worked with for years. And I said, you know, when one of us when one of us wins, it's a skin on the wall, man. We are so stoked and happy for one another. And for their kids, I mean that's a that's a scholarship for their kids. So good, so good. Um, pivoting just a little bit. Um, what would you say, or what would you say you've seen as some of the biggest hurdles and challenges in education, kind of just generally speaking, um, in recent history prior to the pandemic? Yeah, this is important context. I think um, prior to the the pandemic, we didn't understand um, as a as a country all of the roles that schools play within the infrastructure of our society. And I think that we were very unaware of how schools are very much. You, you shut down schools, everything comes to a halt, right? And I think pre-pandemic. Nobody had that on their radar. It wasn't the mag the magnitude of the importance of teacher. Everybody had their favorite teacher and felt like high school was important and things of that nature. But from a from an infrastructure, like we got to shut this entire place down if schools aren't up and running and functioning the way that they function. And so, uh, pre pandemic, I think there was just it, it was kind of business as usual. You know, I'm gonna drop my kids off. They're gonna learn. Hopefully, they have a good time, and I'm gonna pick them up at the end of the day and. Uh, I'm going to go off to my important job and do my important thing uh, and let those crazy teachers who have the summer off uh, handle these, uh, my kids for the day. It's kind of what it what it felt like before the pandemic. I, I, th I love hearing that because, again, different perspective. Teacher in the classroom, Blaine's there, front lines. Um, I'm supporting the front lines, but I'm an administrator. Um, Pre-pandemic, I would agree with everything he said, but also um, – very challenging in the legislature. One thing that's kind of, I guess, augmented my perspective as an administrator is the fact that I watch a lot more of what happens in the Texas legislature now, especially as it pertains to education. Mm. And prior to the pandemic, uh, it very much aligned with what Mr. Mountain's saying, which is, you know, uh, drop my kid off, hope they have a great time. Uh, my job as a parent is to put them in a good school district that I trust and believe in, and I pick them up after I do my important thing. Pre-pandemic, there was also a little bit of this kind of just, I guess, parents really, the, the appreciation, uh, to kind of go off of what Blaine's talking about, uh, or what I'm interpreting he's talking about in terms of like you just drop them off and the way schools as an infrastructure function, it was almost like a, a foregone conclusion. Like this is school, you know, the teachers are there, we pay the teachers, part of the taxes, I pay my taxes, so we're going to send them. There was so much just... I guess, dedication, blind dedication, and we're going to just send our kid and you're going to take care of them. Whereas 
as we entered into the pandemic, I think to, to lean off of what Blaine is saying, boy, we got a real quick dose of how critical schools are in our lives and how important those overpaid administrators and underworked teachers who get summers off, what they really do was brought to light really quickly in the window between not pandemic yeah. and pandemic because, boy, the, I think you highlighted it earlier, Blaine, and the, you know, the thing you love the most is doing the 10 different jobs and it's fun and you can kind of have the career buffet. I think teachers also found out during the pandemic, a pre right as the pandemic came in, all the roles that we maybe didn't want to play that we had to because I can't make this job. But I know it changed a great deal. Yeah. I know that. Yeah, I'd say uh, pre-pandemic, some of the, the biggest hurdles that, that I've had, and, and it's interesting too, and I'm, I'm okay saying this right now because I the school and environment I'm at is fantastic, but I know through different experiences I've had, uh, I mean, parents and administration and how they handle situations or, or us, or, you know, basically the way they support us or don't can make a huge difference. Um, so potentially not a hurdle at all and actually helps us run better, but, but can, can provide hurdles in a sense uh, if, if things aren't smooth. Uh, and, and I guess one, I mean, one easy example is from, from the first few years in Texas, uh, I had pretty much zero parental involvement where you know, you'd, you know, we'd have a meet the teacher night, and if I if I broke double digits, that was that was a decent night. Um, out of a hundred and I think then I had 120 students, and I'd get 10 maybe parents who'd come. Um, zero emails, zero phone calls. Like no matter how much I reached out, just very little support, which makes it really difficult when when there's not much happening beyond the classroom. If, I mean, if you assume that's that's the the case. Uh, but kind of in the end, like looking at the different schools I've been at, the, the parental involvement has been one of the, the key factors from what I've seen in terms of, of student success. Because uh, even in Texas, like the, the, the kids had the same, they had this, the same desires, the same wants as the, the private school here, where you know, every kid wants a, a purpose in life. They want to feel valued and cared for, and you know, they want to be driven. Uh, and it's just part of it is, you know, what's their culture? What are they growing up with? What other influences do they have? And what are voices are they hearing um so that's been one of the biggest thing i guess kind of that end piece is what other voices do they have in their lives mm. uh, that that help them to move forward um when they're when they're fighting against a lot of things it makes it difficult for us to to break through some of those some of those barriers so having parents that can help um you know if they're involved with churches that can help if you know, when we have admin that, that's stepping in and, and supporting us in those roles uh it has made a, a huge huge difference uh, and you know, we've seen a lot more growth with, with those pieces in place. I see also the pre-pandemic kind of, the process pre-pandemic too, another thing that's probably worth noting is expectations of not only parents, but also of school administrators and school teachers. We saw a, I saw um, a huge change in, I guess the best way to describe it is a level of respect professionally because teaching kids what the content areas are and, and making sure that schools' bills are paid and things are done and kids learn and seeks are accomplished is one thing. But then when you layer an entire pandemic on top of it, and basically what the pandemic equaled for us, too, is now it's not just academic responsibility and accountability. Now it's safety, security, academic responsibility. And we went from, 
and I'd say we because I was in it too as an administrator, our teachers and administrators and school staff and personnel went immediately from the people that educate our kids to now the people who educate our kids constantly monitor the governor's orders, constantly monitor the local judge's orders, constantly monitor the local ISD's orders. Who can wear masks? When do we wear masks? Where do we wear masks? Are we going to be punished? Can you enforce what you put into policy? Are we really going to send a kid home who has their mask below their nose at the early part of the day because it's 8 a.m. and we still have a whole day? Do we sacrifice a whole day of that education? We were not ready. Nobody was. <laughs> but pre, I think the expectation was here. But immediately when it happened, the expectation for us to now become health advisors, enforcers, bouncers, <laughs> use Blaine's word, we are now having to monitor, and, and I say that from a unique perspective because, as Blaine mentioned, he was online most of the year. Um, our district, we came back, like, immediately, and it was very different. And plus, then you have the, mm -hmm. a completely new perspective in the conversation of, oh, your district's not doing this, but our district is. And then high-risk teachers in one district are now complaining because they have to go to work, but others aren't. It was mm -hmm. very unique, to say the least. Yeah, I'm listening to all of you guys just say like a lot of these problems, and and you're 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 bridging beautifully. We're gonna ask the hard question here next. Um, a lot of these problems preexisted, and I I have appreciated the language that the pandemic was the great accelerator. Um, you know, as a mental health professional, like I, my argument has been, hey, going back is not gonna fix our mental health issues. The pandemic pressed us. These things were very much so maintained and contributed to with things that pre-existed the pandemic. We just can't help ourselves but ignore them now. Um, and, and you guys have touched on some really interesting uh, facets of this. The roles uh, in which people played or didn't play, you know, or the roles that we assumed were being played or weren't being played. You know, I'm thinking about that as a parent. Um I'm going to use a term and throw it out here before I ask my question, my next question, the idea of being married to an educator, having a child in the system, being a parent, playing a different pro professional role in the community. I think when it comes to the education system, I think there were a lot of people and processes that were on autopilot. And when the pandemic hit, meaning we were making assumptions that they would just keep going or that they would work or that we were prepared. And, um, and you know, Blaine, you and I had lots of conversations, late night conversations as decisions were playing out. And, and we talked like nobody was prepared for this, but we could have been prepared if, if we were paying attention to these other educational needs. It's not just about the pandemic. And so the education system couldn't be on autopilot anymore. I mean, that's the way I experienced it from my kind of unique experience. Um, and then all of these relationship roles and you guys being, you know, the things you said that you loved the most and that were a part of your philosophy is that this is a highly relational uh, field and career and dynamic in our community and we're dependent on you guys. So let's ask the really hard question and let's camp here for a second because I think this is what this is what we really want to dialogue about. You know, what were, in your unique perspective, both as an educator and a parent, what were the biggest challenges as a result of the pandemic, in your opinion? I think to 
to segue from the relationships, for the first time we realized how important a school board is, how important a superintendent is, how important the governor is, and everybody's role, you know, like Becky's running for school board and you're like, oh, great, you know, okay, cool, I hope she has a good time, but now you recognize that that position comes with a lot of authority and a lot of weight. She's going to determine um, some of the answers to all the questions that that Philip stated about like how masks should be worn. Should we bring back kids? Becky's going to listen to the governor and she's going to sit with her peers at the school board and she's going to make a decision with those six, seven other people. And they were, they are going to determine how everything is going to play out. So just for me as a teacher, understanding the magnitude of those roles uh, and getting to see the public understand like how that's how we've been operating as teachers, right? The school board is a big deal to us because they're making a lot of decisions around philosophy. We started off that, like, what is my philosophy? Well, a lot of my philosophy comes down to what is my principal's philosophy, you know, and his philosophy is going to be dictated by the superintendent. And I'm an extension of that. And I'm playing all of those things out. Um, to the best that I can within my classroom. So just the relationships that we all have, especially between the government and our school board and our administrators and our teachers and then the, the people in our community and how we're never going to be on necessarily on one accord. Um, but some districts had instances that were very divisive. Like when you got teachers that are out or you got parents who are outside of your administrative building uh, with signs picketing, and just saying, you know, really derogatory terms towards teachers and administrators. It just, I know it was just disheartening at times watching the disconnect yeah. um, between everybody. It was really discouraging at some moments. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. And, and I have an incredible appreciation for administration, even more so than I did before. Uh, just seeing and knowing the, the weight of some of these decisions, which, like you said, like some things like, like masks, like who on earth would have thought that there would be, you know, tens or hundreds of hours dedicated to, you know, philosophy on mask discussions and how to handle it and what to do. And, and then on top of that, no matter what decision you make, people aren't going to be happy. And, and it's tough, especially in leadership. I mean, you, you put yourself out there and, and you know it going in, but then when you, when you get something like this, where like, said Jenna a lot of things get exposed that were already there and a lot of things brought out um, you start seeing uh, you know potential divisiveness and and, and it, it's tough it's tough and um, so I, I greatly appreciate what our you know what our admin has done and the way they've handled it and, and gone about it uh, it's yeah it has not been easy on them and just to I mean with AJ teaching uh, science you know we, we all I think before we just assume that as a society we were going to rely on experts, right? We were going to rely on scientists to make answers, and we realized that we don't necessarily rely on those people to make the final decision around something. You know, we're in classrooms teaching. You know, all right, this is this is why this is important. This is why we rely on credible, reliable sources. But at the end of the day, it comes to the person who got elected into that position, or they got hired into that position. They're the going to one making that, uh, ultimately making that decision. So it was, it was really interesting. I, I have a, I have an unbelievably easy, but also, I mean, I could give you 
50 different stories through the pandemic that articulate this, but for me, the biggest challenge through the entire pandemic has been communication. And that's that's from the top level all the way from the office of the President of the United States, from the governor of the state of Texas, to local school boards and ISDs, as Blaine mentioned and AJ mentioned, to administration. Um, and the hardest part for, I think, most school districts is that communication um, and, and I, I'll be I'll be candid, but I'll also be uh, a little guarded in, in how I articulate it. But the truth is, if we're if we're speaking honestly, um, the communication piece is so important. And what I mean by that is communication has everything to do with being honest and transparent or not. What you hide, what you don't, what you disclose, what you keep keep secret. Um, and when you put a pandemic in the mix, which people's health is on the line, I watch students' parents die. I had students themselves get COVID, and, and some had hardly any reaction, but their older parents and grandparents, it was a big impact. But through the whole thing, um, there's a thousand different probably themes that I could give you, but communication, the lack thereof, and difficulty in was the biggest thing for me because you had a situation to where you would watch the news at night, depending on what news you watched and what you subscribed to, and whether it was left, right, or center. Yes. Um, and, and then you got information about what was happening in other areas that you had to either trust or not trust. Is it that bad in El Paso? Is the, the valley down in uh, down in uh, Donna and McAllen, is it really, are they really suffering like that bad? Oh my gosh, I just judged theater down there a couple of years ago. And, you know, six months ago, I had a friend go down there. But you get that information and you consume it. And then locally, you're getting information at whatever pace you get it via email, which is a terrible timing of communication. Um, they're not sending out text messages to you, which is how we normally communicate and exchange information. So we're, we're expecting in our 2021 life to get you know instant communication. But we're having to wait on news. We have people saying that news is not correct. We have others saying that's absolutely. You trust the CDC. Then locally, it gets even deeper. I'm sorry, I know this is a little yeah. bit of a rant, but but you asked. <laughs> um, it, it gets into that portion of TEA. Yeah. And the pressure, I can't imagine. Like a lot of people are being real derogatory towards TEA, okay? But I will tell you right now, to AJ's point, to be in that leadership role, to be Mike Morath, to be over TEA, and live in a city that is arguably very, very uh, controlled with the pandemic. People are not going to work. You are staying at home. You are hereby required to do that. And TEA itself has its employees at home by directive of the state. And then teachers in certain districts, based on who the school boards are, are going back to school. And some areas are not affected. In West Texas, they're like, what is COVID? We don't know what COVID is. We don't have any. We've got 75 yeah. kids in our high school. So all that to say, the communication and gaps there caused a major brick in the infrastructure because you didn't know when it was happening. Everybody's emotions got involved. TEA is not even going to work. Why do I have to report in? I mean, it, it became a lot. I do remember hairy, that. It was a hairy mess. And, and a lot of that wasn't because people are mean to one another. That's a contributing factor. But people got frustrated and stressed because communication was just difficult to get. Philip, I, like, I, I, I appreciate where you're going, and I, I do appreciate how you're doing it. You're holding space for, like, this was really complicated and complex, and and honestly, it was nuanced, and then it lacked nuance, and, like, both of those things existed. I, I remember the middle of last summer, uh, as a family, 
right, with an educator in the system, a child that we did not know what was going to happen with, you know, to be third grader, and sitting back going, we are just waiting on decisions and feel very um, subject to whatever someone decided for our family. And I, and I think that some of what showed up in the roles and the communication and the breakdown was, what do I, and, there, and the whole pandemic, this was true. Like, what's my personal right? And then what do I not have rights to do? And like just the tension between that and what's mine to do and what's not mine to do. And, and who's, who's doing this? And, and everybody was kind of looking to leadership and then leadership got passed down a lot, right? Like we're going to let y'all choose. And then that got really confusing. And so it was, and I just remember, I mean, Blaine, you and I sat on the couch. We're like, what are we going to do? We were just running like six different scenarios, depending on what the decisions were. We did not, we did not know what the next two months of our life adjustments were going to have to be in order to accommodate whatever the decisions were. It was so stressful. I remember it. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the disconnect is by design. I mean, school school boards, for the most part, are designed to be autonomous. There's the TEA, which dictates a lot of the mandates. Um, but, I mean, the way that Texas is set up, and I'd love to hear AJ's experience. In a, Me too. In a different state. But, um, you know, your school board's designed to kind of do what it's going to do um and they're going to get guidance and governance and and i think our entire state got to realize that's kind of how um school boards work and i think that's why parents it just reiterates the fact why parents are so like their home purchase is so important because that's going to land them in a school district and then that school district is really going to dictate the quality uh and and just even how their that education is going to be distributed. If it's a district that loves the fine arts and wants to fund the fine arts, then they're going to get a lot of great fine arts opportunities. But if they're in a district where that's not so much the case, where maybe it's football, um, then then maybe I should get into a district or buy a home in an area where, where that's the emphasis. Because at the end of the day, the school board and the superintendent are going to determine uh, what's at the forefront. And my governor is not going to make that decision president of TEA is not going to make the decision, um, but it's going to be those six or seven people and then the superintendent staff that are making that decision. And I would say on, on I'd the love to hear what, too, what it's like. In, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Mark. Go ahead. No, I was just yeah, saying to, to your point, too, just a quick thing that's worth noting for listeners is this. School board members, if you don't know this, do not get paid to be on the school board. So imagine being in a situation where to, to use your party, you know, Sally or Wendy or Jim, whoever gets elected to the school board, uh, they get elected in the pandemic hit. So now all of a sudden you are making the decisions that you're talking about, Blaine. You are you are literally one of seven votes that determines whether kids wear masks, when they do, when they don't, what the punishment is. You're working with the superintendent. And no matter what you do, I would argue that half, because of what I've experienced, my personal experience, half of the people are going to hate you and think you're an idiot to use, sorry, colorful language, but they are. I saw it on social media. Yeah. It was brutal. But half the people think you're an idiot, and the other people are like, oh, praise you. You've saved us. But no matter what, school board members, unfortunately, some of them have just decided, man, this is not worth it. And they are so worth it. Like, we, we have to mm. have school board members. So worth noting, to, to your point. Yeah. I, I can speak to that, too. And Even as the... Our elder board at the at the church, which instead of most of us most of us not paid and making the decisions where you you're devoting, I mean, 
hours into, you know, from, from seven to midnight every other week and then emergency meetings in between and emails and texts and trying to decide what to do and what direction to go. And, and it, it wore me out. I mean, it was, you, you know, you get to the point where, like, I don't want to deal with this anymore, but you know, you've got to, it's one of those things you, it, I mean, you could, you could choose to walk out, but I mean, ultimately, and I think for most people who've gotten themselves or, you know, chose to be in a leadership position, they're there because they want to work through these kind of things. Uh, but it is, it was still, it was tiring. I mean, I was honored to do it, but my goodness, I hope I don't have to do it again for a long time. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like you mentioned, so me being in, in Washington, I think it's really interesting, especially, especially the dynamics of, you know, whether it's the church or the fact that we're at a Christian school where the, you know, predominantly, predominantly the, the families and the people are going to be more red leaning uh, politically, whereas our, our state is, you know, significantly blue and our, our governor in that direction. Uh, and, and what is done and what was exposed is a lot of mistrust of the government uh, and a lot of people who, you know, they'd get a mandate. And you know, a lot of people are saying, I'm, I'm not doing that. Like, I'm not going to follow that. And, and so then if we're trying to wrestle, we're trying to wrestle with that. Like, how do we walk that line, um, you know, doing, you know, doing what we feel like we're supposed to do? Because even in leadership, there's people with that position. Like, you had a whole opposite end of the spectrum of, like, we've got to do everything the governor says. And other people, no, don't do anything he says. You can't trust him. And uh, I mean, really, really difficult, which which we were fortunate in both my church and my school, where even with differing opinions, uh, there was still unity, which which I know you said one of the things at the beginning, Jen, of just showing how to have you know, discussions, how to how to have unity with one another, even in, in disagreement, uh, is, is I think something that, that's often lost, especially today with social media. And, and it's something that I've gotten to see a lot, which the, the unity piece of it, um, which I think, as we talked about with camaraderie, is, is a great example to our students of seeing a school board, seeing admin, seeing teachers mm-hmm. who, who have to walk in and, and some of them making the decisions, another one following. Because, you know, admin makes a decision. Not not every teacher wants to do what they're saying. Like, um, so my schools, we, so we were shut down completely virtual last March through the end of the year, and that was mandated by the state. So then coming into this year, uh, it was given – it was given to each district what they do, do what you think is best. Uh, and so us being, you know, a little bit smaller and we're, we're bigger in the sense of private schools, uh, but still smaller compared to a lot of others. Um, like our high school uh, right now, typically, you know, near a hundred for each, each class. So we've got, I think about 350 in the high school right now about. Uh, and so we had a little bit more flexibility with how we could manage it. Um, Worked, worked closely with the, the local health department in terms of how to handle it, what to do, if there's a case, if there's exposure. So trying to do all the things right, but at the same time, we did come back to school while the, the schools around us were, were shut down, which provided an interesting dynamic because it brought a lot more students into our school for families who wanted them into a school. Uh, so so it, got, it, it got really interesting. Um, but yeah, we did it with masks, so teaching this whole year in person, five days a week. Um, with masks on the whole time, with distancing in the classroom. Uh, so that, I mean, I, I literally spent a, a whole day preparing uh, before school of just how can I situate my desks with spacing in a lab setting where I can fit as many students as I can but still be distanced. And it it, it was something. Um, but, yeah, so this is kind of a little bit of a snapshot of what, you know, what I was in. 
I mean, we could probably spend hours talking about the logistics that each of you had to juggle in um, this dynamic. Like I, like I was so, I mean, I, I watched choirs sing with masks on and I've watched, they come up with these really creative masks for instruments to like go in a pocket. And so like we have mass marching band and, and, um, and teachers teaching in masks. And then, um, you know, Blaine, you, you talked about being completely online and, and that was a really interesting dynamic and then teachers doing both. Um, I want to talk about the challenges to you guys leaning into the relational part of this. Like it, like when you guys described your philosophies and your favorite parts, it was all about relationships. You know, what, what were the challenges to that for you guys this year? Um, and the, and the one that sticks out for me and I had, I was, had both a student, you know, and then a, a spouse and we were a high risk family. I just remember watching the Facebook pages and just the inflammatory dialogue to your point, Philip, about like when they would make a conservative decision, those who really wanted more freedom and choice were angry. And then when they would make, um, when they would make more, um, let's move into engagement again and doing more things. Those who were afraid they were on, I mean, you, you could not keep people happy. What, what did that do on the administrative level, administrator to teacher, teacher to teacher. You guys talked about colleague relationships being really important, teacher to student, uh, teacher to parent. It it affected it in every possible way you can imagine. And most of the time, not – well, I'll just say this. I have to applaud our school board and our superintendent and her team because Dr. Bonnie Kane and RWIC uh, board just handled it as well as you possibly could. And they, they know and understand the community. So the decisions that were made, um, for the most part, they, they didn't take as much, they still took flack, of course. They didn't take as much flack, I think, as they would have because they know their community very well. So we reopened under the understanding that a majority of the folks in our community wanted that. Um, but as far as like my question and why I'm here today, uh, in my perspective as an administrator, I'll tell you, it's one of the hardest things I've ever done because Somebody mentioned it a minute ago, like when, when I think it's AJ, when, uh, when the rule is handed down from the governor, but then we really don't know if that's going to be the, I mean, that, that's the rule. That's the rule of law when the governor says, you know, got to do this. But then there was also, <laughs> I go back to my other point about policy during the pandemic, which could be an entire other podcast. But policy during the pandemic, when the governor in his order says, okay, you have to wear a mask, except for these unique positions, one of which is when a, when a person is speaking to an audience. That was one that stood out to me because that deals with everything I do from speech to theater to extracurricular. like Everything you do. Everything. And, and when you layer those out, you think of, okay, from what we just talked about here, there's the, there's the personal, the home, right? It's, it's Blaine and Jenna and the kids and Philip and Angela and the kids, right? And AJ and his wife and the kids. And then there's the school. And then there's the teachers within the school. And then there's the students and teachers within the school. And then there's the academics, the safety, getting to and from logistics and wearing masks. Then there's another layer that we dealt with this year, which is, oh, my gosh, 
to those of us like Waxahachie who went ahead, and, I, and I'm thankful for this, to our board. We were allowed to do UIL activities. We were allowed to participate, and many districts were not. And I felt terrible for them. Yeah. But the big point in that is that as we were doing those things and, and having, you know, the kids were experiencing those things, we got to do them. But, man, there were so many additional policies. You have to wear a mask. You can do this. And then there was the conflicting information from even our organizations, like in UIL. You don't have to wear a mask to play basketball or wrestle, but you have to wear a mask if you're going to do one at play on a team. And just the administrative <laughs> big eyebrow raising of going, oh, my God, how do we be respectful, respect our kids, keep them safe, follow the rules, and stay within, like, UIL bounds and other organizations and our districts? It was very wow. complicated. Hitting a, another piece of that, um, just from my standpoint, so as a you know educator in the classroom and the relationship with the students, obviously, when you get virtual, it makes it a lot more difficult. Uh, so it's kind of like you're you're doing all the the hardest parts of the teaching, which have made now been made harder because you're not in the classroom, but you're losing so much of that interaction. Um, as we know, like virtual interaction is not the same as in in person. Uh, and it just makes it difficult to connect with kids, especially you know some of them who just went, you know, went AWOL. And uh, our state ended up with a policy of uh, a no harm policy, they called it. So whatever whatever grade a student had when uh, when when the schools went virtual, they could not get anything lower than that grade, no matter what happened the rest of the the semester, which which obviously we we did not publicize that much. Um, but there were some students who, who knew that, and I mean, you just shut it down. Because if you had you had a, an A or a B, well, you could do nothing the rest of the year, and your transcript will have that A or that B. Um, so there's kids who just disappeared, uh, and and so trying to, to wrestle through that, and, and that's part of part of my personality is <laughs> as a you know a competitor, and you know that's why I coach too. You know, I, I'm not I'm not giving up on this, and, and so I you know I went I went all in. Uh, of this idea of I'm I'm not I'm not going to let the the pandemic beat us and it's not going to wreck my classroom and so it, you know I committed to it it was a lot of extra a lot of extra work um, and it was I mean it was exhausting uh, but I went you know I went after kids in the sense of if they were disappearing trying to reach out to them um, trying to get a hold of them and and talking to some you know got a hold of some kids but got a hold of some parents and, and even some of the parents just in tears of you know. My, my kid just can't even get out of bed. And, you know, my kids, so they're so social and not having the other kids around, they just are severely depressed and they're spiraling and we don't know what to do. And, and so for me, it was a unique opportunity to, to reach out and, and pray. You know, I prayed with parents over the phone and, you know, would call and, and talk to kids and, uh, you know, as much as I could. Uh, but man, it was you know it was it was hard on a, on a lot of people, especially losing that social aspect and, and kids trying to figure things out and being alone in a sense. Uh, so th yeah, there was a, a lot of difficulty the relational piece. Um, I tried to do as much as I could virtually to, to make up for some of that, just doing fun things of you know I'd make you know make trivia games every Tuesday and I'd do you know random facts other days. I'd do you know. I'd post old pictures of myself in high school as like a throwback Thursday, just little things like that, um, which which they've told me since they they appreciated a lot and and it made a difference. But you know it was little things that took significantly extra time, uh, but 
of just trying to maintain some form of relationship peace where it seemed hard to, to connect. Yeah, with teaching virtually, so um, typically I'd have anywhere from like 28 to 30 students in a classroom, and our school board, um, one of the decisions they made was that I could have up to 40 students virtually. Uh, so some of my classrooms, especially in the, in the fall, they balloon to about 38, 39 people. Uh, so for the first time, you know, I'm sitting on a, on a Zoom with 38, 39 other students, and maybe two or three of them had their camera on. Um, which I, as, as a teacher, I totally respect. It's their space. A lot of them are in bed. Um, I want them to have a level of privacy. Uh, so there was that dynamic. And at the same time, I realized that by them not having their camera on, they don't feel connected to me. They're going to feel less connected to their classmates. The students who really feel like they thrived uh, online virtually were students who were brave enough and, and had the privilege enough to, to have their own space during that time and to be able to turn their cameras on and to be able to um, audibly interact with with me. I remember calling on one student. I called on him all throughout the year. He had the best personality. He was always really like uh, full of joy. And anytime I called on him, you could hear other people in the background. You could, you could, I could tell that he was in the kitchen. And there was probably three or four other people in, in his learning space every single day. Um, and I, I just imagine that that was really challenging for him as a student, right? You have your three siblings, and mm. then you have your mom who's working, and then maybe dad's there, or maybe grandpa. Uh, I had another student who he, he shared an office with his dad. I, he, he always had his camera on. I could see his dad in the corner working uh, at his computer all day long, and he was at his computer working. And so they were sharing that space. Uh, and so I know that it was just from a practical standpoint, I think we, we teachers, literally, we got a glimpse into students' homes and the types of obstacles um, that some of them had to overcome, right? There's one kid who's sitting at the table with five other people, and then there's this one, I had several students who are sitting in million-dollar homes in giant living rooms um, by themselves while their parents were upstairs in their office or at work and really got to see the disparity between kind of the two and so when we send kids home and we have certain expectations for them I think we we teachers were able to gain a lot more empathy some of us I think those of us who have empathy we gained even more empathy I think those who didn't have empathy before probably it didn't change them much you know um, but I think that was really significant and then from an emotional standpoint I mean I've always had kids in their essays write about um, very difficult things like depression and maybe it's abuse or, or whatever it may be just as a whole uh, but there was just more of that this year like mental health and I and I articulated this to my students I was like when I was in the 90s if somebody would have talked to me about mental health I'd have been like I don't know what that is like, I don't is that a, like I'm, I didn't even hear that term like in the 90s you didn't you didn't hear mental and then health combined together but that's very much part of the vocabulary of these of these students they know the terms they're familiar with depression and the signs of depression and they're they're very much more equipped to deal with it from a like a mental standpoint understanding what it is but to just emotionally deal with it I think a lot of them are struggling and I don't think that's because of the pandemic I think they were struggling before I think it's just even more apparent now um, you know I had one girl who's like my parents finally understand that I'm really depressed, like that I haven't been making this up for the past three years. It's probably because mom and dad felt depressed during the year too. 
it's for the first time they felt they they connected with that place that they had been experiencing. And they're like, well, if I'm experiencing this, I can't imagine what our um, what our daughter is experiencing. So, yeah, I, I think it's just been really eye opening to to see what there's. It's going to take a long time for this class to recover. One of the last things that I told them as we were the la- we always do question of the day. So I ask them question of the day. It's an opportunity to be seen and it's an opportunity to be heard. Uh, and I feel like that's super important. And our last question of the day for the year was, what is something you're grateful for and what's something you're looking forward to? Um, and I think, and, and of course, it's always the, the summer. But when they said the summer, it meant more if they just needed a break. They needed to disconnect from school. They needed to not go on to Zoom. They need, even if they were at school, they needed to go not have responsibility to do stuff. You know, we, we've still been, even during this challenging time, we've been giving them things to do because that we're afraid of learning gaps that we've created uh, in our mind around what a learning gap is. And so I think this summer is going to be really important for a lot of kids to disconnect uh, and to take a step away from education. I'm, I'm, I'm so thankful that schools operate. It's not a year. I, the, you know, the debate around should schools go year-round, I think, this is a clear indicator that schools should not happen year round. That kids should take breaks from uh, all of their academic responsibilities. But some of those, those are some of the big things that I, I saw throughout the, the year and the challenges. Blaine, Blaine, one thing that you brought up that I think is critical for listeners to hear too is, is you mentioned the fact that sometimes you would look in and you would see students that are, you know, there's dad in the background or mom's working or doing that. I want to give a different perspective of that, which is just, I think, as valuable, if not for parents who didn't, who aren't educators. Think about this, because we do. I know you do. Um, we had parents like myself and my wife who are managing directives from superintendents and administrators to people on campuses, and our daughter can't go to school. So we're taking care of Stella while taking care of my 65 staff in fine arts while she's taking care of all the ELAR staff and English teachers in the district, while we're writing curriculum that's never been written because we're in a pandemic and now it's virtual and we got kids coming in person and we got hybrid kids and we got totally virtual kids. And educators in that time, no one worked harder. I don't care where you work. Outside of, well, I'll say this, outside of the medical field, obviously, and things where people were taking care of literal traumas and and the pandemic and, and things like that, I don't think any profession worked harder because we literally doubled and tripled our responsibilities with kids online, kids in person, kids in that. And if you had a if you had an educator in your family, they were trying to do that at home and manage just like Blaine was. And Lord help you if you're both in education like my wife and I, because we're both trying to yeah. meet our job expectations, meet our you know what everybody wants us to do, answer emails. Oh my gosh, the emails, the the vast number of emails. So, yeah, I mean, it just, <laughs> I'm not that guy. I have to have zero emails, okay? When, I, when the list comes up on my phone, it has to, they have to all be seen and read. <laughs> and then there's, then there's the other person who is, something's wrong with them, that has 7,000 unread, okay? <laughs> but, but during the pandemic, holy cow, like, it was email fest 9,000, and it branched. There's just so many, like I said, this could be, you could branch this into seven different podcasts from, Problems of the pandemic, the unexpected benefits of the pandemic, but but that right there with how hard teachers and educators had to work and administrators during that time frame from home, unreal, unreal. Yeah, to touch on that really quick, um, 
just brought to mind the, the idea of I mean, how much anxiety I had a lot of the time. Uh, so you, like you said, that idea of my, you know, at that point, second grader, kindergartner, uh, and then um, our daughter was, was about three, like almost three. Uh, it's a lot going on at home, but then I, I had a hard time separating work from home because my home was work now. And the same thing with my wife, because she was working full time and worked, like she set up office in the bedroom, which left me with, that took my, my daughter's room. So like my, my school office was in my daughter's room in her little desk with her sitting next to me doing her schoolwork. But at the end of the day, you know, end of the technical school day, well, I'm still at home. I've still got emails. I've still got things I need to do. And so I would just keep going and then realize like, oh my goodness, it's five o'clock. And my wife and I haven't, we're both still working. We got to hurry up and make dinner. And then there was just a lot of that. I couldn't turn my brain off. Like I just couldn't get away from it because I was at work all the time in a sense. Uh, and yeah, it was, it was difficult. You, you lose, or yeah, you lose the relationship piece. You lose the relationship piece, which is difficult. Uh, and then you add the, some of that anxiety to it. And it just, it was, it was a lot to wrestle with. I mean, AJ's right. Coming off of the spring, it took me almost half of this year to be able to come home and not think about school. Like to into Philip's point, you're always thinking about, okay, I'm at home, but you're, but you're still in the mindset that people are trying to get a hold of you. You're like, there's still people emailing me. I got parents who are trying to get a hold of me. I got kids who are trying to get a hold of me. And you couldn't ever compartmentalize your life. Like home meant still felt like work. There was always a level of anxiety around it. And I know that kids are experiencing that, especially kids who've been learning all year long. It's like they still haven't had that chance to take that, that mental break. Because I remember some times where – I'd be sitting in front of my Zoom. My class would start in like two minutes, and I would just be stressed out. And then we'd hit the five-second mark, and I would feel like the newscasters were like, all right, we're on in five, four. And I'd go live, and then I'd have to like everything in me, bring that energy, be excited, be optimistic and encouraging. And then once I hit that Zoom, you know, I'm back slumped in my chair like, oh, man, I am I'm exhausted. Well, so, and I will – I haven't, I've been private about this. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe I need to like work through my own stuff right on this front, but our home dynamic was wild because I'm a mental health professional. It has to be like private and non-distracting. And those are two different like sound issues. And so um, the spring was, was really hard. The fall got a little bit better. And, you know, to your point, uh, Philip, like, uh, we didn't have two educators, but I was completely unhelpful if I wanted to work and I was self-employed. And so like, if I didn't work, we didn't get paid. Right. And so I literally set up shop with a backdrop in our master bathroom because that was the furthest corner of the house. And we started soundproofing doors. Like we've got, we, we were hanging felted curtains on two sides of the door. And then I was like a room away inside of a room with a backdrop and, that was the furthest I could get away because we have uh, we have this delightfully boisterous four and a half year old little boy, and and my husband who, you know five four three two one if you can't tell he's got this loud wonderful projecting voice <laughs> so he's trying to keep it together for his kids and you know at one point Blaine you moved out to the garage for that reason because it was so we just live in a small house in this season and so he's out in the garage. 
uh, our daughter's trying to do asynchronous online at the time. <laughs> our son is just trying. We're just making sure he's alive and he's having fun. I mean, he's just all over the place. Blaine's doing that all by himself because I had to be 100% with a client because I'm a mental health professional in a pandemic. And so th- I, it was bananas. It was well, and, absolutely insane. And I will tell you the most embarrassing part of the whole thing, and I just have to admit it because it is what it is, and this is a, this is a podcast <laughs> with mental health educators, okay? But I'm going to tell you right now, the yeah. most embarrassing thing, probably the most, uh, to the opposite of pride, the most crushing thing to me is the amount of arguments my wife and I got into, and she's a wonderful human being, and I think I'm a pretty likable dude, but the amount of stress, and uh, AJ mentioned just the constant, like, just stress and anxiety that's on you both, and she's trying to do her job, and you're trying to get clients, and <laughs> uh, Blaine's in the <laughs> in the garage. They, unfortunately, I mean, it just puts so much stress <laughs> on parents, not just teachers, but parents in general, because I can imagine, I, you know, I, I, I'm obviously biased. I think educators worked really hard during the pandemic, and not to down others, I just know how hard we worked, but I will tell you, if you're a, if you're some person like yourself, where you've got to have privacy, and and HIPAA violation or HIPAA concerns and, and every kind of law known to man. I can't imagine the amount of like spousal arguments. I had to discipline myself the many oh, yeah. times I looked we, at because I, I snapped at Stella a few times. I'm like, Daddy's on his nerve. You know, you, <laughs> it's bad. <laughs> we had so. Well, in our house, it was Blaine snapping at the kids, going, "Mommy's on a Zoom. <laughs> like, be quiet. <laughs> you know." Um. <laughs> But it was, it was wild. It was absolutely wild. As I'm curious, as we start wrapping up the year, we're kind of reflecting on the last year, but as we start wrapping up, we're almost at the end of in school year and, and many have. Um, are there hidden gifts that, that showed up during the pandemic that surprised you? And maybe even you want to keep around or you'd like to see stay after the pandemic um just just curious what would you say are there an educator or parent perspective i'd say uh so two on two different aspects one the the academic side where there's a a lot of a lot of activities or, or different assignments that i was able to come up with that I normally would never have thought of, just some some a little outside the box in a sense when we were virtual, because uh, we you know we couldn't do labs, so you had to get a little more creative and you know some giving them scenarios and then they have to solve the scenario and like, use application and so it was a lot more critical thinking. And that's how I did my test too, because I'm I'm not going to give them, you know, I, I didn't want to give them a a normal test and just go on honor system in a sense of like I don't want to I just didn't want to set up that scenario where. Some do, some don't, and then put it on you. So I just made it, it was all critical thinking. And I'm like, you can use your notes. You can use anything we've talked about. And you've just got to, like, have a, you know, a sound, well-thought-out answer and prove to me that you know what you're talking about. And it actually turned out really well, more better than I thought it would, in the sense that, like, the students who, who wanted to learn and were there to, you know, just trying even, had some really good answers and some really cool stuff that came out of it. Um, so I, I really like that. I've, I've been using that. We're back in the classroom now. I'm still using a lot of those and, and trying to use those application things. Um, another front is a hidden gem, at least, is just seeing leaders emerge in, in the student body. Uh, and just this, yeah. you know, 
a lot of kids, like, and immediately my mind goes to our baseball team. You know, having a group of seniors this year where, you know, their junior senior year were their main ones for for baseball, and like you, you know, they they dream of the state tournament, and um, we've got a pretty good team, and we've made it to the state tournament, we've gone you know pretty far in the playoffs for a lot of years, and and you've got these seniors who are excited for it, and then their junior year, two weeks of practice, and suddenly the season's canceled, and then we get back into it this year, and even though we're we're back in school, they they opened up sort of all athletics in the spring, they did fall sports, spring sports, and right now they're doing winter sports. And so they all had short abbreviated seasons with no state tournament. And so you've got these guys who just basically lost all chances of having any state tournament, which is what they had dreamed for. And yet none of them were pouting about it. Like none of them were, you know, woe was me. I'm a victim. They, they owned it and just, you know, like it's out of our control and we're just going to make the most of what we have. And, and we're going to, we're going to build a program. We're going to leave a legacy. And they, and they were phenomenal leaders to our, our underclassmen and the way they led them and spoke to them and, and legitimately spoke. They, they were leading meetings with the team and leading devotionals. And it was, it was truly fantastic. And, um, and I, I think the pandemic helped bring that out in them as they persevered and, and built a lot of character in it. I think school just, I mean, I think a lot of school districts are going to initially in the fall, I mean, Texas is everybody for the most part going to be going back and going in person, um, are going to want a sense of normalcy. So they're going to want to default back to the way things were. Um, but I think there are going to be a handful of districts throughout the state of Texas and just throughout the country who are going to use it as an opportunity to do some different things, right? To say, hey, we don't have to do it the way that we did, um, you know, years ago. Like, do we really have to offer, does, does a student have to take this class in person? Or could this be an option? Could we give a sp kid space during the day to go to the library and just take this course as an online course? Does this have to be something that they have to be in front of a, a teacher? And I think, um, we won't see it right away, but I think over the course of the next five years, there are gonna be some districts who really are bold and brave and try some new things and those new things are going to work and then you know I, you know i'm going to hear about what waxahachie's doing and i'm going to pitch it to my team i'm going to be like you know philip dr morgan they're doing some incredible things over here what if we what if we em embrace that and use it i think it's going to take some time because people just want things to be the way that they were before um, but for those those educators and leaders and administrator who've been waiting for an opportunity to really overhaul education um, through some of our systems, like this is the chance. We're going to see that happening in the next um, two to three years, and then that's going to ultimately affect all the schools throughout the country over time. I think it's going to be a more differentiated and a more empathetic school system. I mean, that's me as the optimist. You know, I'm always leaning into – optimistic but I think it's going to take some some time I don't think oh you know next year is not going to look different but I think in the next five to ten years schools will look drastically different because of the uh, the pandemic um, whether a school wants to change or not they're just going to be forced into change because other school districts are going to be having a lot of success and their kids are going to come out more academically prepared and more emotionally prepared because those schools stepped up and, and did the things kind of that we're, you know, we're all dedicated to. Like AJ talked about character. I think there's going to be more character building programs and 
mental health is going to be a bigger deal, and we're, they're going to have more. Our, right now on our campus, we have over 7,000 students, um, and we have one, one counselor who's our trauma counselor or crisis counselor, as she's called. And she deals with 7,000 kids. If something really traumatic happens, it's not their counselor who's speaking with her. It's that one person. And I, I, I foresee in some school districts, there's going to be five five of those people on campus working with students. There just has to be. You know, like with the mental health the way that it is right now, some school district has to step up, they got to budget it, and they need to lean into the, the mental health portion of it. And I think there will be a school district who's brave enough to do that, uh, and, and I think we're going to adopt that. And I think that's going to be the case in all the different facets of education. I think it's going to take some time. I know, I know you brought me on here to bring a little bit of the real Jenna uh, because you know my personality and you've known it for years. So I'm going to tell you, hidden, yes. gem number, hidden gem number one of the pandemic. Oh, yeah. You get to hang out with your hound dogs at work. I mean, this is stress <laughs> oh, reliever. Oh, that little puppy. This is, this is stress reliever number one right here. And I'm not going to lie. When you come off of Zoom and you get to see hound dog brown dog here, it's, it's a good time. So he's a good stress reliever. I mean, schools are already talking about. We got to. Oh, absolutely. Oh, no, I've seen him, and that's what I mean. That that was him. We got Christmas puppies. I know, our therapy puppies. (laughs) Um, Outside of just having them on the I got to tell you, our daughter, so who did the entire, our, our daughter who did the entire year online, and I, you know, so eventually my son went back to preschool and, Lane had to serve after school online. I would come out on breaks, and we coordinated breaks, and I mean, it was like scheduled gymnastics. Every time I came out, she would hold his dog. Oh, yeah. And I really do believe that those puppies made all the difference for her, this 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 kind of, you know, home stretch uh, of the time. Yeah, I would say that there's a – I, yeah, I, I had learned a class this. where – Oh, go ahead. Oh, I uh, – to, to Philip's point, I had a class where – girl just happened to have her dog in the background i made a comment i was like oh that's cool and then you know i'm always thinking things on the whim I'm like all right we should bring a bring your dog to or bring your pet to class day or whatever and we'll everybody will introduce their their pet and the next class came around and i forgot to to bring it up and some kid reminded me they're like hey mr mountain this is supposed to be like bring your pet to class day like can we can we go grab our pets and i was like yeah yeah, yeah let's do that the last 15 minutes so they came back and they all of them, you know, all you know, most of them had like a pet and they they described this animal and you could sense that that was one of the things that was really helping them keep it together during um, during the pandemic. And my wife had been, you know, begging me to, to get us. <laughs> we lost our dog Latte just recently, uh, within the past year or two, and getting a new pet. And I thought to myself, I just imagined my daughter at home doing virtual school, and I was like, she just needs some camaraderie in that form. I was like, it, it brought so much joy to my students, and I didn't even know it, uh, and that was an important piece, and, and at, I saw some footage yesterday from graduation. We had our graduation, and there was a kid on the front row. He must have been like valedictorian or salutatorian, one of the top kids, and he snuck a pet in to graduation <laughs> and in his lap, and he was like petting his, his lap and, and petting the dog, and so I feel like Things like that, we're just going to be more open to. Hopefully, we'll be more open to to those types of supports. I think I think that's the biggest hidden gem in the whole process is that people are everybody who was used to kind of going to what Blaine started us off with is people were so used to how school has to be, 
and it was so rigid, and we have to do it this way. And I will tell you, I am not a fan of online education. That That is, to, to the point you made earlier, when kids know that they're going to keep the same grade and they check out, it is hard enough trying to keep their attention when they're two feet in front of you, proximity alert in a classroom. It is unbelievably, if not impossibly, challenging to try to keep kids engaged when you don't have them in person. So with that laid out, I will tell you that some of the things that I think are hidden gems, number one, meetings that didn't need to be meetings. Zoom Zoom or Zencaster or whatever has saved a lot of that. Bro, (laughs) there are some things. I will never, ever attend another extracurricular meeting where I have to drive 45 miles to meet about one-act play. Hey, baby, we Zoom it. We're going to do it quick and get it knocked out. That's one benefit. That's right. the, the other thing that I think is a huge benefit of, of, of the pandemic that came out, and this is, I wouldn't say it's a huge benefit to us, just I got to spend so much time as a working professional with my family in some of those months there where I got to see Stella on my lunch break. And as a dad, and, you know, I've been, uh, and you guys, you guys know this because you've known us for years too, but, you know, my wife and I, we, we have a different little perspective in terms of our little family too because we've lost a child. and. And we try to invest as much time as we can in Stella. And it's just, it was almost like the Lord giving us a little bit of a reprieve back of, hey, here's some extra time. You're still going to be busy and doing your job, but here's more time. So I got more time to be a dad. I got more time to be a husband. I got to make a lot of, I mean, I love to cook anyway, so I got lots of extra time there on the lunch break when I could unplug for 30 minutes to cook everybody some food or make some food for a sandwich and spend some time talking and taking a lunch break. So, um, but outside of that, to Blaine's point, I think a lot of school districts who were so very rigid in the way things had to happen, and even TEA, if we're being real honest, had rigid ways of how we did this and how we evaluated schools. And hopefully one of the gems, I'm optimistic like he is, hopefully one of the gems that comes out of this is that even the education agency and our government and our families and people who are not involved in schools who just pay taxes, as they say, we just pay taxes, we don't have kids in school. Mm-hmm. Maybe that gives a different perspective of, how schools can run, how, how, how often we do need to have kids, you know, yeah. uh, in these certain classes. So I hope, hopefully it opens up and, and liberates school a little bit so that we can be more functional to the advantage of our kids. Yeah. I think Bill hit the nail on the head in that one, especially with time with family. Oh, my goodness. that It was fantastic, not just with me and Lindsay being home for lunches and things, but extracurriculars being canceled, like, it's a huge bummer, but to not drive to gymnastics and baseball and hockey and like just we were all home and we just were yeah. home and our kids, like our, our own kids, bonded together in ways I hadn't seen. Like they'd always have good relationships, but they really came yeah. together. We had a lot of good time and and in the end, like the idea of you know even cutting out meetings, doing zooms, simplified. Like it it simplified life and. It was such a refreshing reminder of that freedom in simplicity. And that's kind of like even now, like clearing out my head and as over over Christmas, I, I struggled over Christmas break of just kind of wrestling with where I was and what was going on and just being beat up. And I just got this realization where like I was overwhelming myself by trying to do it all and and putting burdens on myself of things like what I expected I should be doing and how I should be doing. And I just was like, I need to simplify. Just simplify and and it has been so, so good and so refreshing. I love that. I think the things I hope to see from this is, I mean, oh, married to an educator, men's health professional, have kids in the system. Um, 
so I, I loved not having a commute. That was a blessing. So that was a lot more time to take care of myself and spend time with family. So I'm in agreement there. Um, and that's two meetings. That's two work. Um, so I happen to be someone who kind of likes the online options, Philip. We hold space for each other. Um, it's been good for me. And I, you know, and I want some, here's what I hope. I hope that we keep options on the table and we grow options because, you know, Blaine and I had a conversation at one point, like, hey, if we had this online option, then like kids wouldn't get behind when things happen. And it doesn't have to be like a worldwide thing that happens. Like, you know, they, they go to alternative school or they have a massive family crisis. If we just are kind of prepared to be able to play catch up online, I would like to see that for a lot of families. Um, uh, real simple. I really hope Google Classroom stays in there. I, I'm going to tell you what, I, my ability to watch my child's assignments, not to do it for her, but to like help help her learn to manage time and getting it done. I, I have way more access to how she is going through her to-do list academically than the red folder that came home every Tuesday. That It was magical. Like, we're just at that developmental stage. And I'm like, can we keep that? Like, I just want the little automated email to my Gmail that says, hey, she did or she did not do the things. Okay, cool. Like, I can bring up that conversation and we can learn time management. Like, it was really helpful in the elementary age. So I hope that stays. What about you, Kimberly? What do you want to say? Yeah, I mean, I um, I think, too, a lot of the points have already been made. It's just uh, more connection with my child's learning process. I think, you know, I mean, this was our, our first exposure with the education system. Um, so I don't have any comparison outside of preschool. All, all I have is at a remote learner for a year. Um, and there, so to me, there were challenges in that and gifts in that. And I don't know what would be different. Um, but I think just being, I'd like to stay connected and aware of just her experience and where she is. And like, I got to know her classroom. Like I, I know the names of the kids and like who she connects with and, who she struggles with and who was hilarious. And that was just such a, a sweet gift. And so I, you know, if there's a way to stay connected with her in her classroom and um, her teacher um, in a way that I think was a real gift this last year, I think that would be, um, that would be incredible. Um, and then to your point, Jenna, I, I think, you know, cause we, we had some family crisis that happened throughout the year. And I think if we had had the option to, she'd had to been, been pulled out to go remote, like her education wouldn't have suffered for that to then go back in, you know, in future days, I think that could be two options would be uh, just be a gift to, um, and then, yeah, just to stay more connected as a family. I, I hope that that stays around in some way. And I know we'll go back to the structures in a lot of ways, but gosh, being able to have lunch together every day is, is wonderful. So some of that stays. I know. Okay. We're going to close. Two questions we ask everybody. You guys can all take a turn. Um, each of you, what do you want to leave our audience with as we talk about education and innovation? Uh, I'll jump in. Um, the two things that I want to leave people with, uh, or I guess this is one of the questions, but what I want to leave people with uh, regarding the pandemic is just um, please as much as the teachers in school try to be empathetic and love your kids like their own, please be and exercise that empathy towards teachers and educators and administrators because I will tell you that, I mean, I'm, I'm speaking too. I feel really, 
only until you're an administrator do you really feel this. But like, I, I, I there was there was so much tension of people like looking sometimes and even should to me. Um, and I understand this feeling. Sometimes venom comes out when you're frustrated and bad things happen and a pandemic occurs. But I, I've heard people on social media too say things like, "You don't understand. You're not in the classroom." We even in our own world of education have to be gracious and kind and compassionate to one another. So please just understand that your teachers that are out there working love your kids and they want them to be healthy and they want them to be safe mm -hmm. and educated and, 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 and want them to be whole as human beings, both mentally and physically in sports and academics and everything else. But we care about your kids and we want, we're making the best possible decisions we can make in the given scenario. So I just want people to take away that nobody loves your kids outside of you and your family more than the educators that are in their lives because we literally do life differently. So please keep that in mind as you potentially post on social media and might reconsider. Or you pick up the phone to call and criticize. You, you have compassion and, and have empathy. I think the first thing is just to be reminded that schools are the backbone of our um, society. You know, they provide an opportunity for all the infrastructure to work and that teachers are at the forefront of that. Teachers become teachers because they love kids for the most part and, and they want to do what's best for, for kids and just be reminded of that. And the second thing is just schools need more funding. You know, as the as we want schools to be different and to be better and yeah. differentiated, we need to we need to fund schools more than we we've ever done before. Why, like Philip uh, mentioned, Wi-Fi is important, computers are important, um, lab equipment is important, and we need more of it. And that needs to be at the forefront of, of a lot of these legislative decisions. And we need the money to continue to fund schools in the way that they, because they're everything. There are hospitals, there are mental health facilities, you know, they are the place where we feed kids, encourage kids, and equip equip kids, and we need the funding to be equipped. So, people, uh, you know, I hope people would support schools in, and, in that manner. And, Blaine, I know when you said that, too, one of the things that I've seen this year when you speak about legislation, you know, I don't know if people know this, but if listeners listening don't see this, you will, I'm sure, in the future if you have kids or if you vote. You'll see a statement on any election from now on because the Texas legislature passed this. It says if you're passing a school bond, it says this is a tax increase. Whether or not it increases the actual tax percentage or the tax rate in your district, it says that. There's such a stigma against public schools right now, so much so that legislators, some of them in Texas, are legislating against us. And, and that's part of, again, to, to your point, not only are we the backbone, but when bonds are projected in your school district and, and things like that come up, please be an informed voter because it only takes a pandemic to make people realize, to Blaine's point, we don't have enough laptops. You're asking us to do things we're not equipped to be able to do financially or logistically. So when bonds come up, when you're thinking about needs and resources, please consider that too because schools need your support. They support the kids. That's good. Uh, I'd say my biggest takeaway is making the, making the most of the opportunities that come our way. And I think this pandemic has, as we said, exposed a lot of that in the sense of there, there's a lot of opportunity for, for personal growth in each of us, a lot of opportunity for 
for any uh, profession, whether you know, educator, administrator, wherever we are, um, you know, growth is you know, as parents and, and growth as friends. And just having this opportunity where you know, things in me that has been exposed that I can work on, uh, having the opportunity to, to see others struggling and to get to walk alongside them. Uh, and then the, the opportunity of, of just encouraging those, like encouraging, knowing that, you know, my, my fellow teachers might be struggling, my admin might be struggling. And, you know, it's, it's an opportunity just to, to reach out to, to people and, and make the most of a difficult time. Uh, it's one of the things looking back on, on my life and, and seeing the areas where I have grown the most in my life are the ones that were the toughest. And, and the best relationships I have in my life are the ones that were forged in the, the fires of trials. And there's just a, a, you know, a bond and you know, brother or sisterhood that goes on there that, that I think this, this pandemic and, and whatever comes our way moving forward, because there will always be another trial that comes. And they're all opportunities to, to drive us to unity, to, to allow us an opportunity to encourage others and, and to grow ourselves. Mm. So good. Last question. What was your takeaway from our conversation today? reflect on a massive and wild year, especially for you gentlemen as educators. What's your takeaway <laughs> from our conversation today? I think that we, we all have a shared experience. You know, we can all look back. Mm -hmm. We'll all be up back at this time, and it'll we'll recognize that there was a divide, but there's, there was a lot of unity in the fact that we experienced something on a global level. I feel more connected to, uh, you know, people across the world. You know, for the first time, I'm I'm looking at like, all right, what are what's the health indicators in India at this point? You know, how are they doing in this mm -hmm. pandemic? And and my concern was was there and throughout just different hotspots throughout the, the the country. So just a just a sense of camaraderie around the obstacles that, that AJ mentioned that we are all in this together. And um, God desires for us to love one another through it. Yeah, pretty much took the took the words out of my mouth there. And, and really hearing, you know, educators on, on different realms. Like, I'm in Washington, you guys in Texas. You know, we've got administrator. we got an online virtual teacher from this year. I'm in the classroom this year. Just a lot of different areas of, of life. And yet, the common thread of, you know, we're, we're facing a lot of the same difficulties, uh, even in different places. And, uh, and we're, we're in it together. So it's just really cool to, to hear that and, and know you're not alone. And to know that there's others that are that are walking through the same thing, and you can encourage one another in it. I think I think the biggest takeaway for me today is just the hope that I'm on a podcast today from the professionals in our world who care about the mental health of our kids, our administrators, our teachers, our society. That gives me huge hope for the fact that we're not just in it. <laughs> To, to y'all's point, to, you know, we're not alone in some kind of vacuum somewhere. Educators are dealing with it, and there are mental health professionals. There are medical professionals. There are people in our world, parents, uh, family members, citizens, who do care about education and who understand. And mm -hmm. helping to communicate that in this great conversation today is just awesome. Putting it out there into the space and, and having the dialogue of what we went through, being heard. Because some people don't know, like they see the news and that's all they watch. They don't have any kind of like podcast perspective of administrators yeah. who have had that lived experience or teachers or virtual. I mean, it's a lot. So I'll take that away. And I'll take away yeah. the fact that, man, 
it's so nice to know that you guys are pushing on through. Teachers are so resilient. Educators really are. So it's it's inspirational to know that. Ah, uh, thank you guys so much for joining us and doing this. It's so meaningful to me. I can tell you that much. Thank, thank you for having us. Yeah. It's really fun. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for what y'all do. I had so much fun having those three gentlemen on the same podcast together. I know for me personally, um, it, it's like several circles of my world just collided together in a fun way. I've, I've known those men. Uh, well, one is my husband, but the other two, I've known those in different circles of my life. So that was really sweet for me um, just to have this really great conversation with them. I'm curious, what's your takeaway? Oh gosh, so many. I think, um, yes, it was a lot of fun. That fact that you just mentioned. I think just, you know, I think the privilege of hearing um, a little bit of, you know, educators' heart, whether work friendships may speak on the ground, teaching, and in all these different contexts, just being able to hear, I guess, the human who's been in it, you know, and like how interesting, um, you and I are, are human nature experts and how we hear like human comments, even when they don't have any real answer. Oh, yeah. The pandemic pressure really elicited the need for better communication and maybe a connection and a systemic, holistic kind of perspective of like, is no different than just whether it's your family or if you're running a business with your ear or it's education, how important those elements are as it relates to culture. In some ways it did, it did okay, and in some ways it, it brought about, I would say, opportunity for change and growth in, in what I hope would be an education system, but yeah. I, pre I appreciated their transparency in that regard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for me, as I've reflected on the conversation a little bit, um, I like your words. It was a privilege just to get to hear a lot of different perspectives for different reasons. I mean, they all brought in, um, they, were, they all were willing to bring in both their professional and their personal perspectives. And, um, you know, even... Philip talking about how his wife experienced some things and she's in the education system too. And, um, and I, and I say that because we talked about these, these, these guys are educators and in that system and they were managing their own children's educational experience yeah. as well. And, you know, I think the thing that struck me, cause they, there was different opinions you know, and, there were, and they did such a good job of holding space on both sides. I think the thing that struck me is there are a lot of, and I would say under the circumstances, educators have kind of moved up. Um, there are a lot of first responders, frontline workers, essential workers, right? We've heard these terms so much um, over the past year. You and I also, to a degree, fall in that, depending on how you... Um, 
discern that. I think what I hope people take away and what I got to experience was I think when there are strong opinions, there's health and safety on the line, a very deep-seated fear on both sides of the conversation, there is a temptation to dehumanize these professionals that are in these settings and offering these services and or making leadership decisions. And I love that these gentlemen brought the humanity back to what this was like for them and what they cared about. And I, you know, I am, I'm married to one of them, so I don't know if it was lost on me. I just think it was a really good experience to bring the humanity back to this experience for those who were serving their communities, families, things like that. And I know, again, that's not just limited to teachers, but I, I have watched over the last year, there's this little bit of a, a dehumanization of people in these positions that serve communities in these different ways when they make a decision that we didn't agree with, when they do things that is, that is you know, not what our preference would be. Um, and so I love that they were so beautifully human in this conversation, and I hope people can take that away. Thank you for joining us. Arable Podcast is hosted by Jenna Mountain and Kimberly Galindo. And edited and co-produced by Chris Vargas and hosted on Podbean. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Visit our website, arablepodcast.com, and find Arable Podcasts on Instagram or Facebook. You can also find both of us on Facebook. You can find me, Kimberly Galindo, on Instagram at the Kimberly Galindo. And me, Jenna Mountain, on Instagram at the Jenna Mountain.